Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Welcome to this week's show. Got some great things to look at this week. We're going to be talking about tabletop role-playing and answering some of your questions that you've seen in on how that works. We're also going to be taking a look at the technology behind mortgage lending. In this era of COVID-19, everything's going virtual. That's no different, and a lot of people are buying houses. So what's involved on that? Spending more time at home lately? Bring the beautiful outdoors inside your home with a gorgeous landscape from artist D.K. Bouillat. Stop by her virtual gallery at dkboljat.com and select a painting to beautify your home today. What's in the news today? First election results announced on radio 100 years ago. Yeah, so that changed things kind of forever, and it was the first time that commercial broadcast media had broadcast the election results. So it's kind of interesting. It comes down that it's exactly 100 years, but uh, there are a lot of changes before that. You would go to the newspaper or situations like that, but no broadcast media. So was this like Coolidge, or who was it? Oh, man, I'd have to look to tell you that. I don't know that off the top of my head. Uh, I'm sure it's out there, but it is okay. definitely, uh, de- you know, definitely was a race to remember. Okay. Definitely tells you what it's like to have the Roaring Twenties if it was the first radio broadcast, because that was that era. Yep, that yeah. would have been that era. Yeah. Yep. No, well, yeah, 1920. I mean, you know, yeah. so, that, and that's when it was. And it's weird to think about it, because before then, yeah, you didn't have electronic media at all. And you wouldn't have had television really for another 30 years after that. Students push back against eye-tracking exam software surveillance tools. Yeah, so we've all been to college. I I don't know. Gretchen, I'm going to start with you. How would you feel about something like this? (laughs) You want to see me turn into a Sith Lord? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I wouldn't like it one bit. Bill, did you run into any tracking stuff when you were in college? I think you're the most recent of us to graduate. I mean what somebody like the teacher sitting there looking at you and being you know i mean but you're in college what i mean what is what is the point behind this why why worry about this i mean cheating is not that big a thing that i've ever seen in college right and and that of course I mean, is part of it too it's just- uh, unless you're in some of the um fraternal groups they seem to have had i see with my experience the fraternal groups had all the test answers you know papers and all this stuff well, us GDIs, we, we just did our own work. Yeah, and of course, that, that goes way back before digital. I mean, that was something oh, you yeah. buy a mean, test or an exam. But I mean, if you think about it, the whole reason for being in college is to actually learn something so that you're good at it. So then when you go out in the, quote, real world, um, that you know how to do it. So if you cheat, you know, I, I, I don't really understand the point well, of it. A part of it is that the software that they're talking about is that you're at home testing. Mm-hmm. So you're taking the test on your laptop. So they have access to your camera to watch what you're doing, to make sure you're not using your phone to look up an answer, to make sure you, you have a, the right number of mouse clicks and button clicks here and there so that you're not actively cheating. But of course, this is now a third party that's not the college that has nothing to do with whether or not you pass or fail the test, but is a third party saying you cheated. So this is like those stoplights in Oregon where a third party gets to be the judicial system and hand out uh, In a sense, absolutely, in a sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah and you're actually... Not, but- 
that bugs me. It, yep. This it, bugs me in the way like anything with, you know, having your camera on or anything like that. And I mean, to be honest, you know, if you're doing online classes, you you take on that responsibility of being honest. And yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, probably are maybe some people cheating that way to get their degrees. But it shows when you get into the workforce, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And actually, just, just to kind of sum this up, we're seeing it from both ends. What Jeremy's talking about is the in-home for telecommuting to class or distance learning. But we are starting to see some of these technologies used in the classroom for the actual testing as well. Certification exams are another one. So it's definitely an interesting thing that's out there. And as technology proceeds, it's something that we're going to see more and more of. 20th anniversary of continuous human presence on the space station. Yeah, so this week is the 20th anniversary that there has been someone on the space station, a couple of someones, uh, since uh, it was uh, sent up and all of that. So it's kind of a fun thing to think about this, and NASA's still going with all that. It's a worldwide organizations that have come together to make this possible. And we're starting to see now private enterprise sending stuff up to the space station, so we're seeing an evolution from that standpoint. But it's still up there, it's still working, and it's still moving forward. People are jailbreaking their used Teslas to enable the features that they paid for. Yeah, Tesla's had kind of a, a bad week with uh, some of the different things that's going on. This and our next news topic even more. And what it is, is that Tesla, when it's made, all of the features that you would originally get, of course, are in the car. And then when the Tesla is sold used, Tesla over the air, in other words, they can reach into your car from a remote location and they shut things off unless you, the new buyer wants to pay for these features again. And it isn't just Tesla that we're seeing this. BMW's adding this kind of a situation to some of their cars, as well as a number of other manufacturers. So now what's happening is people are using their own computer skills to jailbreak or be able to get into the root access, the administrative access for their car, and turn the features back on themselves. Now, one of the problems with this is, is that if you mess around with a Tesla car too much, it'll brick, and you can have a situation where it won't run at all, and to be able to get it turned back on, you would have to go through Tesla. So it's kind of this cat and mouse game, and it's one that is worth a lot of money because you're looking at some of these options if you buy a used Tesla having to pay seven, eight, nine thousand dollars or more on top of what you paid for the car to get it to work the way it did when it was original. Tesla Oh, go ahead, go. Sorry, it just disgusts me these companies that have to like just try to squeeze every little bit. It's like the video gaming companies now. Yep. You know, they're yeah. they're making record profits and yet it's like, we're gonna squeeze you for every penny we can. We're gonna sell you this game. And then we're going to make you buy every bit of it again and again and again. Yeah, the, the whole microtransaction thing has been a big deal. And, yeah. You know, these are very similar ideas to that kind of a thing is you want to be able to sell your product, but now the big companies want to be able to continue to generate revenue on these products even after they're sold. So, you know, you look at it from a standpoint where it does create a very interesting situation to kind of drive that. I still remember with video games when you bought a cartridge and that was the game. And now you you actually, if you buy physical media, you don't buy the game. You just buy an install program. And it always goes out over the internet and downloads an update, you know? Oh, yeah. Tesla users voice warnings as rear bumper falls off when wet. Scrap parts used in build. So I'd like to know how people in the Pacific Northwest feel about this. Well, it's definitely really could be a problem. I think any car, if your bumper falls off when it gets wet, is is an issue. So, <laughs> that, that, yeah, that's not a feature. That's a bug. That's a bug. <laughs> yes. No, specifically, what's going on here is these are cars that were manufactured 
I believe it was the Model 3, through uh, May of 2019 in the plant in Fremont, California. And for some reason, if water hits the bumper the right way from underneath, so it's raining and you went through a puddle or something like that, the uh, back bumper may fall off your car. But it says scrap parts used in builds. That's really bad. Yeah, that's another issue. So oh, these are okay. actually two different things. <laughs> yeah, and this is this has been a picture. In fact, we'll put one up on our social media um, of a well, I don't know problem. It's very interesting of some of the new SUV Tesla SUVs where the cooling unit is being held in with a strap, like you would strap down stuff in the back of your truck, and to keep the strap from being cut, they have to put a barrier around the metal component. Well, they're using trim, like wood trim that you would get at Home Depot. So it's this metal thing with this wood trim around either side and this green strap that would go around the back. And the questions, and not all of them have this. Some are built correctly, but a lot of them have this in there. And people are asking the questions, did they go to, you know, the home improvement store to buy parts because they ran out? That's Okay, I I thought Ford was messing things up. And wow, that, I, I, as someone who has worked on vehicles that range from 1967 to now, what? I mean, at the museum, I had vehicles that were Model Ts. They actually had wood in them. Yeah. But, you know, those were built. This is just, this is exactly what I expect from this. I mean, I hate to say it. That's the truth. I expect this from Tesla. Yeah, it's (laughs) lazy. And that's that's (laughs) exactly where it's going with it. Kind of an interesting just footnote on that. Ford, when they made the Model T and the Model A and, and that era of cars, would actually require that the vendors that provided the parts would use specific size boxes because the pieces of the boxes, which were wood at that time, would be used in the build of the car. So that's where a lot of your wood came from. Oh, yeah. But uh, but that was a little different. It was intentional. <laughs> in fact, that was how uh, Dodge started. They actually started as a company that was just selling parts. They would sell them to other companies who would then assemble the vehicle, or you could buy the parts yourself and assemble it. Right, right. Well, stay with us for this week's show. We've got some great content coming up. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. Going to be covering a lot of listener questions in this segment regarding tabletop role playing. We've talked about this in the past on the show quite a few times. And Bill, I know that you run a lot of the games we do. So we kind of figured we'd put you on the spot today, if that's okay, to ask some of these questions. Of course. So the first question that came in is How different do you find using an online system? We had talked about Roll 20, there are several of them where you do virtual role-playing versus actually being in the room and being able to do tabletop gaming like we did before COVID. Wow, that is actually quite an interesting one because there is a lot of difference and a lot of similarity, really. It's kind of one of those weird things. And it depends on what you're able to do with things. You know, I've played in college dorms. I've played in people's houses. You know, I've set up in my own place uh, in person. And... There's a, you know, that closeness of being around the tabletop and having maps or miniatures, having physical dice, things like that. It creates a bit of a different atmosphere than being online. Um, But the difference is, of course, is being online allows you to set different times, allows you to connect with people that you wouldn't be able to meet in person. 
I have played games with people in Europe. I have played games with uh, people in Australia. And right. that's something you don't get in person. And it is a different community and a different feeling, I guess. But it all comes together in the same way. And as far as prep, really the difference comes down to, you know, one is using software and one is pretty much the same other than maybe you're using di uh you know, maybe a physical notebook or something. Uh, a lot of people were switching to using uh, digital means on tablets to set up their stuff. Right. Already. Um, I so mean, which, for me, I guess the big difference is just the tactile difference. So which do you like better? I prefer in person. Yeah. Because you get a lot more emotion when you're role playing. You know, you can, you can see other people's faces. You can see how their characters are. You can see getting more into character or understanding and easier to read a room too, you know? Yeah. So, now, next question. Well, I, can, I can use my cool, cool collection of dice. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, see, there, there is that the physical thing, and that leads us to the next thing. What problems have you run into, both tabletop and online, getting ready for a game? Oh, that's uh, that's a real broad one right there. Um, <laughs> a lot of it is is it's kind of a general rule, and there's always just a lot of different thoughts on how to prep for a game, being a dungeon master. And some of those really come down to what you can personally do, what your mind works on. I struggle a lot with coming up with big story ideas and things like that to continue with homebrew campaigns. So I actually find it easier to use pre-made ones, you know, uh, Curse of Straw, Tomb of Annihilation, those kind of ones where a lot of the basics to the game are ready for you. And then throw in the incidental off-the-cuff stuff, which is going to happen in every game, no matter what, because your players are going to do things that you didn't expect them to do. Right. <laughs> and no, we, we've never done that. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, let's, and that's let's a, just skip this whole level here and go down the, down the stairs. <laughs> but I would say probably the, the difference is, is when we're in person, like we used a dry erase flip mat. So you drew the maps like on the fly, you know, as you needed them. Whereas online, I'm having to use a, a free online software for map generation that I've really liked called uh, Dungeon Scrawl. And I have to prep all of those maps, have everything set up, have the monsters set up. Whereas in person, it was just pick up my monster manual and flip to that page, put a bookmark and write down a couple of numbers while having someone draw out the map and boom, away we went. Now, a question from a listener is, have you ever played in a convention-type setting? Yes, I have. Do Actually, a couple. Do you find it different when you have your own friend group versus a group of random people at the convention? I'm going to put this and extend that. There is things known as Pathfinder Society for, and Starfinder Society for the Paizo products, Pathfinder and Starfinder. There is Adventure League. These tend to be what you call drop-in games which is you can just kind of go to these events, like a lot of colleges have them, some game stores have them, things like that. And you just kind of drop in and go. There's a lot less um, role play that is R-O-L-E than there is role play, R-O-L-L, -L, as in dice, because you're not having time to really get to know these people. They're, you know, you're meeting for half an hour and some of these people might be complete random strangers. Some get into it, some don't, but it's so quick and so direct to keeping on track with things that it's a totally different mindset than with a group of friends. You know, a group of friends, you can really get into character. You can really enjoy things, take time 
is a lot of it, you know, take time to have dialogue, take time to have personal, you know, the character backstories and have those have effects on the world. Whereas with Adventure League and that kind of stuff, you just kind of go in and, well, yeah, I'm a human fighter named so-and-so, or, you know, I'm Elven Ranger or, and you just kind of, to use the term, I guess you stereotype it and just kind of go with it. I mean, you might have a character in mind to generate a little, but it's, you're not, you're not getting in deep with it. Now, do you generate the character at the convention, or is it something that the players would bring with them? Uh, both. Uh, you can usually get a blank character sheet, or usually they have what are called pre-gens, which are made by uh, the companies. Um, like Starfinder usually has a bunch of them where it's just like, here's this uh, t- typical version of this character class. And you just pick that up and play it. They'll usually have them at different levels. Um so you can just pick it up as, and you don't have to do very much work on them. Otherwise, sometimes they'll have it where they have a blank sheet and you can make your own on the spot. But okay. that's really about it. Now, we've got about 30 seconds left here, so this is our last question. Have you run into trust issues running these games? I assume this means to the way that people play. I have not had a trust issue with any games I have run, but I have been at tables with people that I have had questionable practices with their dice rolls. and. So in person, I have always initiated a certain thing about confirming natural 20s and such. But, you know, I I have had people cheat. Yep. I'm sure it happens. Well, everybody, thank you, Bill. Thank you. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. This is the section of the show where you get to ask your questions and we answer them. Hopefully we answer them correctly, but we at least will make a try. How do you submit your questions? You send them to one user friendly at Facebook or Twitter if you use social media. You can call us 503-766-6264 or go through our website, userfriendlynation.com. What are our questions this week? How do I know if a VR headset will work with my computer? Question number one on that is, did you spend a lot of money on your computer? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So there is a branding that a lot of the companies are doing called VR Ready. Hmm. And this is something that's out there. You'll see it on the higher end computers. Basically, what it comes down to from a technical perspective is you have to have a video card in the computer capable of 3D rendering. And these video cards are on the higher-end machines. You need a computer which itself has a good processor, lots of memory, lots of storage, that type of thing, because VR does take a lot of power to run. And what happens is, is if you have a headset, which most of them will do this, that plugs directly into the computer, it's going to use a number of different ports. In the case of the Oculus Rift, it actually took three USB ports, believe it or not, and the video output to be able to run it. The new Oculus Quest 2, if you run it off a cable, is just one USB-C port, but still the same idea is you need to have a video card that's capable of running it, and those video cards come on the higher-end gaming laptops. What is a data broker? This is a question that's come up. When you accept terms and conditions on websites or software or go in and your data is shared, and there's a lot of different ways that they do it than just that, the way that that's done a lot of times is through a third-party clearinghouse called a data broker. And what this is, is the individual that takes your information, 
and sells it to other people. Well, that sounds like a great thing here, but uh, I, I already don't like this person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and these companies are big. It's big business. It's something that's not talked about in a huge amount. But uh, there are places. Is a, let's say you have a company and you want to go out and get information for a certain demographic or vertical or something like that, and you buy the data. You would go to the data broker and buy their product. Well, the way they get their product is from these sources. I want to upgrade my laptop. Do I still need to spend $1,000? Well, if you're Mike, who submitted the previous question, want your VR headset to work, then yeah, probably. Uh-huh. This, uh, you know, the real answer to this question depends a lot on what you want your laptop to do and really what you need. There's all kinds of options we have now that even 10 years ago weren't out there. And some of them are very, very inexpensive. So if you are the majority of internet users, computer users, and you want to go on and check your email, stream a video, browse the web, those kind of functions, then you don't need an expensive laptop. You can get away with something like a Chromebook or maybe even a tablet. I prefer the keyboard version, but uh, those are all different options that are out there that will allow you to do those things without really investing a lot of money. Another good side of this is if you have kids you know, or someone that's probably going to be at risk of dropping or breaking, you don't want to have an expensive piece of equipment. Most of the school districts with their distance learning are using Chromebooks just because they are inexpensive and you can get a lot of them quickly. So that is where you would go if that is your goal. Now, if you're a gamer or somebody that's using, say, Photoshop or something that requires more processing power, then you need like the a CAD laptop. product. CAD product, definitely. Yeah. Anything like that, then yes, you want to look at higher processor, more memory, all of the stuff that was the same metrics as before. And to get a good laptop that does all that stuff, you're going to spend some money. But just to put this in comparative, a lot of us spend $1,000 on our phones. So spending that for a laptop means that you're spending the same amount on the laptop that you probably would for your phone. How did the mask turn out? We are assuming that is a reference to Jeremy's project? Yeah, this is from the Builder Workshop with Adam Savage, and everybody Mm -hmm. is asking this. How did the mask turn out? What happened? Okay, well, I I have a a series of photos of the construction process that we can put up on our social media. Uh, I submitted mine in time. As far as I know. <laughs> um, now, there, there was a recent tweet from uh, Silicon with Adam Savage, and it's at, if you're going to go find out the photos, you're going to look on Twitter at, under uh, at S-I-L-I-C-O-N-S-J. That's their official. And it has a, uh, three photos, one from Ashley Fee, one from Alexis, and one from Arthur Chin. And the photos are pretty amazing. So... Go check them out. Go check Uh, that out and check yours out at one user friendly. Yeah, mine mine turned out all right. Uh, Aside from the glue burns, I had a lot of fun. (laughs) Uh, Glue burns, yes, uh, I remember glue guns. So, (laughs) so I'll see about sharing some pictures of those onto our social media. All right, that sounds great. Now, are you still entering this next year, assuming they have the in person Comic Con? Oh yeah, I'll bring it along. Cool, cool. Now that sounds incredible, and that sounds like a thing. Well, send us your questions and your comments. We're out of time for today, but one user-friendly on Facebook and Twitter, 503-766-6264. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Joining us now, Steve Mailer with his guest, Shirley Larkins. Well, thanks, guys. I'm on location today with a very special friend who 
has helped me get into my first home in 10 years here in northern Nevada. And it introduced me to a new process of buying a home that maybe it's just been too long since I've done this, but she introduced me to new technologies and new ways of just thinking about buying and closing in on a home. And she's, she's become a very fast friend, a very wonderful woman by the name of Shirley Larkins. Shirley, welcome so much to User Friendly. I really appreciate you taking your time today to talk to me. Thank you so much for having me, Stephen. I'm so excited to be on your program. So uh, this happened very quickly. I mean, I, w- I remember looking online. Uh, we've been in contact for like the last, what, said maybe seven or eight months. Something like that, yeah. And you've been sending me MLS listings by email and uh, text messaging me about areas that I wanted to be in. And what happened, it was almost like a very whirlwind type of event where you sent me an MLS listing. I saw a place really liked it. And we ended up uh, creating a, uh, we made an offer. They made a counter offer very, very quickly. And before I knew it, it's been what, maybe three weeks? Yeah, it was fast. It was about three, three and a half Three weeks. and a half weeks that we've closed. And um, what my experience was is I, like I said, I haven't been a homeowner in about maybe 10, 10 11 years. And I was amazed by how much technology is now involved in, um, you know, buying a home and closing on a home. All I mean, electronic signatures, uh, which I, I think I vaguely remember doing that, but I remember it was so much more of a of an in person come to your office, look at physical paperwork, and initial and sign. How how has the industry changed in turn, you know, technologically? Well, one awesome thing to think about is you know, with the internet and with the availability of information. We can really hone in on the properties that people want with, you know, open communication without even having to meet each other or walk through a house. You right. know, we can literally t- tune it in, dial it in, just like we did for you where we visited one property and we wrote the offer because it was the one. Right. So after that, once you've seen the place, we never even have to see each other again, really. We have systems in place now and technology available that can assist through the entire process so we can do everything virtually. And that right. that goes from inspections, you know, obviously somebody has to inspect the property, yes. but you as a buyer don't have to be there right. or, or as a seller, you don't have to be there. Okay. We can provide you photographs, video, whatever you need to see what we saw or, you know, move the process forward from there. As far as contracts go, everything can be done electronically, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. You know, we were chatting just before we went live here about how things have changed just like in the last 10, 15 years in real estate. You know, we used to fax things back and forth and, you know, running from the office to print and then run to meet you to get it back in time yes. and fax it back. And I mean, that that round and round process now is literally a, a five second click on the computer. It is. Send it in an email, text you, you send it right back and we're done, you know? Yeah. And, and I found that particularly amazing. And one of the things um, that you mentioned is that uh, applications like DocuSign and some of those other electronic devices that allow us to move forward with documents and signatures and initials, that that's been actually been around for a while, that you've been using it for a while. But it's really only since um, the pandemic has kind of put limits on how close you can be to people mm-hmm. that that's really come to really come to the forefront in I, terms of its use. I think one if you're trying to find a silver lining, you know, in an industry for the pandemic. Yeah. Um, you know, with real estate, we've had a lot of of technology and programs available for all types of things, you know, for marketing the properties, for video touring, 3D modeling, drone photos. I mean, all of these wow. things have been around for years. It's just that people weren't implementing them. They didn't have to 
they didn't think about it. You know, we had an old system that worked and, yeah. and, but we didn't realize how clunky it was until we couldn't get in front of people. Yes. And how do you continue a job that's a relationship business if you can't see each other? Yeah. You know, or, or I, yeah. see the property. There was a couple months there where we couldn't even tour homes. So how are you supposed oh. to sell your home or buy one if you can't even get inside? Um, so we had to really adapt quickly. And I think, you know, agents who were in the field and have been doing the biz or, or at least follow any kind of, you know, information online with what technological advances are out there, we were able to find the tools quickly, but it was figuring out how to implement them in a smooth manner okay. that you know how to use the technology so you can show your client and that it carries over through online. So the presence is there for, you know, the property or for what, whatever you're trying to do. So would, would you say that because of the, I mean, was there, ever an immediate impact where it was difficult to move forward with the business because maybe maybe you as a realtor knew how to use the tools, but the people that you were working with, people, folks like me, mm-hmm. maybe weren't comfortable with that process, that they, they're used to being able to be in front of you right. and walk the property with you. So that was another thing that really shifted in the pandemic as well. So I know in my business personally, because I have a busy lifestyle and I'm also a really productive agent. I'm always trying to figure out the best way to time block and figure out how to make things fast, right? Because I got a lot going on. So I was kind of pushing some of technology onto my clients. And there were people who weren't comfortable with, you know, electronic signature for everything or Mm -hmm. first offer that we're going to make. Can I just email it to you? We go over it over the phone. That didn't always feel good, right? So a lot of people wanted that sit down process. Right. But with the pandemic, we weren't able to do that. So it's the new norm, right? Is adapting to what we can do and what's available. And in a way, I think it's been really neat in our right. industry because it's really allowing us to cover a lot more ground. Faster. At, way faster, way faster. And put a lot more information in people's hands more quickly, you know, fine tuning what we provide. So trying to think preemptively, what questions are my buyer going to have about okay. this so that I can have something ready for you. So it feels good, even though we're not sitting there and I'm not there to coach you in person, right. I'm still right there virtually with you. Okay. So do you, do you see uh, as, as we move out, as we, be, as we become healthier and the world returns to whatever the new normal, who knows what the who new normal is going to be, but do you see that the industry, that this shift in how people do things and use more um, technology tools in this process, do you see it staying this as the new normal or do you see people wanting to go back to the old way? I feel like this is going to stay. It's going to okay. stick. You know, there's some things that are going to come back, like open houses went away. And in our state, oh, in Nevada, right. we it just reopened at the beginning of this month in October. So we, we weren't allowed to, you know, tour people through homes, um, having it just open to the public, okay. right, which we could always do before. So we had to get creative on that as well. What was I doing? Well, I got my video camera out and my Osmo and I went and took an awesome property okay. tour and welcome to my open house. And it became a virtual open house, there right? Okay. Or a Facebook live open house, okay. for instance. So you're not having the people tromping through the house, but they're still able to get the tour. They still get the information. And I, my face is still there wow. for my marketing, right? So in a way, that was really cool. And then I don't have to kick my sellers out of their house for four I was hours. Say, yeah, it's less intrusive. Way less intrusive. Wow. Okay. You still get the big bang of having the marketing happening and people's eyeballs on your home. And, and you know, the process can continue forward. So things like that, I don't uh-huh. see that backtracking, really. Okay. You know, it feels like... 
with with this relationship based business, mm-hmm. we're always going to have to have some personal contact. Right. It's just what it is. Yes, but a lot of it has become a lot more automated too. And I think if you've implemented the system through the pandemic, it's going to be really hard as an agent too to want to go backwards. Right. Well, I can. I mean, just as a as a home buyer in this situation, I know that it has opened my eyes and it has uh, amazed me as to how easy buying a home really did become in this process. Well, Shirley Lekins, I do appreciate you uh, giving us some insight and, and on how technology has helped your business. And I appreciate you being with us here on User Friendly. Thank you so much. I'd love to be on it again. Yay. You, count on it. <laughs> Bill, Jeremy, and Gretchen, guys, take it away. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. Great show this week. You know, home buying has been a really big thing this year, and it's kind of fun to hear about what's involved from a technological perspective on that. And I think like anything out there, computers have remade pretty much everything we do. So it's not surprising that that would be part of that. But I can see where during this pandemic, being able to do a lot more stuff online virtually does make a lot of sense. And plus, it's easier to be able to just deal with the web being someone that did this myself recently instead of having to always go down to someone's office and deal with stuff. So, you know, that's kind of cool. And I want to talk a little bit about this week's Tech Wednesday. Our article this week looks at cable internet bills and how you can save a little bit of money not running your equipment. It's really easy to do, and the instructions are out there, and that's at theanswerportland.com. And this week, we had a new episode drop of The Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 1. Jeremy Gretchen, I'm assuming you watched it. (laughs) Yay! Yeah. Yeah, it was great. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm always amazed at uh, how awesome the volume is. Um, The volume is the name of the set that they use to do these scenes. Mm -hmm. And uh, it looks so real. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. If you watch some of the uh, added features and special stuff that they have under the suggested tab... You can see all these other cool things, like how they did certain things and what the volume looks like. It's pretty amazing. And and you got to watch this, especially if you're a big um, Star Wars fan. You're going to see somebody at the very end. I'm not going to tell you who, but you're going to see somebody very, very important. <laughs> yes, that's what, I, that's what I've heard, too. And uh, it, it was overall a good episode. I'm not going to get into any spoilers yet because I'm sure a lot of people haven't seen it, but uh, right. definitely was worth seeing. Definitely a good season opener. It's streaming on Disney+. Plus Now, how do you get special features if you stream it? Uh, there's a tab. So if you go to seasons and you look at the things, there's, you know, what seasons you're playing. And then across, right there is special features and extras. Okay. Okay. So you can just do that like you would on a, oh, what did they call like those things? On a DVD. Yeah, yeah. DVD, DVD. I remember that, like 8-track. I, I remember uh-huh. all that. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so full of it. Uh, <laughs> anyway, streaming media is a whole other topic that we can get into. But uh, yeah, they're now it looks like they're doing that episode by episode instead of binge watching. Is that the same way they did it last season? Yes. Yeah, it's yes. Every, every Friday you can watch a new episode. Okay. All right. So that's going to be exciting. We have something to look forward to on Friday. Yeah. <laughs> I saw some of Gossip, too that the uh, producers of Mandalorian are saying that they would not be against the idea of a movie. I saw that. So and we'll see what happens. We'll have to yeah. see what happens with that. That could be a lot of fun. I mean, you know, yep. and I think that's definitely something that would be worthwhile doing. It's 
Out of a lot of the Star Wars stuff that comes out, it has come out recently, this seems like one of the better things. Yeah. So it's been a lot of fun watching it. Well, until next week, this is User Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User Friendly 2.0 is copyright 2020, User Friendly Media Group, Inc. The views and opinions expressed in this show are those of the host and not necessarily User Friendly Media Group, Inc. or the station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting provided by WeAreTechnology.com. Podcast available at TheAnswerPortland.com or UserFriendlyShow.com.